Music used to be more of a communal experience. People would get together around campfires, at dances, in pubs and bars just to sing together. That world isn't completely gone, but it feels more and more anachronistic with each passing day. Skinny Lister came out of that tradition and are fighting tooth and nail to bring it back, passing a jug, singing sea shanties, and playing music that requires you to join in. They're old-time troubadours dressed in brogue boots and sundresses. Follow your fearless heart. Walk on down your own path, they sing, and that's just what they do. So raise a glass and raise your voice. This week we're talking about Skinny Lister on The Mix Is In. So back in 2016, I bought concert tickets to go see a favorite of mine named Trapper Shep. He's somebody that I had discovered through a Jesse Mallon show up in northern New Jersey at a guy's house, which is a story for another episode. We'll eventually get down to doing Trapper's episode. I bought the tickets going to see him, but he wasn't the headliner who's actually one of the opening acts. The headliner was a band called Skinny Lister, who I had never heard of. So I went, and I decided, as I do, well, if I'm going to go to this concert, I might as well at least have an idea of what I'm going to listen to. And I pulled him up on YouTube. I was probably sitting at my desk at work. You know, I had the headset on, you know, half an ear. And I played the first one that came up, which was Trouble on Oxford Street. I listened to about half the song. I put the whole headphone on. I listened to the rest of the song. And then I went to Amazon, and I ordered the album down on Deptford Broadway. These were one of those bands that I immediately said, well, I think I found a new band that I'm going to enjoy. So I got that record. This was right around the time, a little bit before actually, that The Devil, The Heart, and The Fight, their new album was coming out. So the next song I listened to was the next song that came up on YouTube, which was Geordie Lad. And I unabashedly loved that song as soon as I heard it. And I pre-ordered the album coming out, The Devil, The Heart, and The Fight. And I liked both albums. I didn't listen to them a whole ton right away, but I listened to them enough. And I really, really enjoyed the music. And then the concert rolled around, and it was two days after the election in 2016. Suffice to say, I was not in the best frame of mind. We're not going to get political or too political on this show, but it's probably not too hard to discern which way I lean. And I was in a pretty dark mood. I was looking forward to seeing Trapper Shep. And I was looking forward to seeing Skinny Lister at this point, but I was not, like I said, in the best of places. And then I found out Leonard Cohen died that day, and I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan. So it was was a pretty depressing day. And I get to the concert, which was at the Foundry at Fillmore, which is the upstairs portion, if you've ever been to that particular venue in Philadelphia. 
So I got into the concert, and I, I was really looking forward to seeing Trapper Shep. You know, like I said, I was a big fan of his. And he eventually went on, and it was a great set. It was an acoustic set. It was just him and his brother. It was just, you know, it was a lot of fun. And then there was another opening act that was pretty good. And then came out Skinny Lister, and I hadn't really known what to expect. I liked their music. I knew the basic makeup of the band. And it was one of those moments where you just get gobsmacked. It was magical. They came out and they played their asses off, which is their trademark. But it was one of the most joyous and exciting and invigorating concert experiences of my life. Now, the Foundry isn't a very big venue. There weren't a ton of people at this show, maybe 400, if that. So, you know, you're right on top of the band, and the band doesn't care. I get the feeling that they would play for two people the same way they played for 2,000, and that was with every ounce of heart and energy and soul that they had. And it was just incredibly uplifting and exactly what I needed at that moment, and probably a few other people in the crowd felt the same way. In fact, when I was watching Skinny Lister, Trapper Shep had come out and was standing next to me during most of the concert. It was one of those magical nights that you won't really forget, and I had already liked the band, and at that point I fell deeply, deeply in love with them. Even just little things, their bassist at the time, Michael Camino, found out on stage about Leonard Cohen and broke down, and you could see the next song that they played, he just put everything into it, all of that emotion that was suddenly hitting him. Everybody else there was, was in the same way. It was just it was an invigorating concert, and it made a lifelong fan out of me. So, who are Skinny Lister? I'm sure not as many of you have heard of them as should. Currently, they're six-piece, but originally they were five. So, the main players are Lorna Thomas, who is singer. She plays ukulele. She is, I would guess you could say, the band's heart and soul. She puts every bit into her performances. She sings her heart out. She dives into the crowd. She dances with people. She is pretty incredible to watch on the stage. Her brother, Max Thomas, otherwise known as Melodian Max, plays the Melodian, he plays the mandolin, and screaming and shouting and singing along. And he is a high-energy guy. He even does photography. The cover of The Story Is, their fourth album, he photographed. Uh, the other band leader or lead singer is Dan Heptonstall, who also plays guitar and stomp box. Usually on the stage to his right is Sam Mule Brace, who is the guitarist. He also plays the concertina, and he leads the sea shanties that they do. Back on drums is Thomas Mills, Tom Mills. And then Scott Milson is their current bassist. He uh, joined up after Michael Camino left, and Michael Camino had joined up after Dan Gray, the original bassist, left. In between there, they also had Dave Neal on drums, and Andy Slim Black on guitars for a little while. So the band has a pretty interesting history. As I mentioned, Max and Lorna are brother and sister, and they come from a musical family. In fact, their dad, uh, affectionately known as Party George, wrote a couple of the songs that they perform regularly. They grew up in a musical family. They were active in the... And I'm, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the British place names if I mispronounce them. I'm doing my best, but I've only been to England twice, and uh, I'm just trying. But they were active in the Leicestershire folk scene. All their friends and family were, were musicians. Uh, and Max, as a young man, learned to play melodeon to join in with the family. 
and eventually he moved to London. Lorna had felt out, you know, she sang along, but she wasn't really quite as big a part of it. And when she moved to London with her brother Max, she began to sing and play the ukulele. And eventually they formed an Appalachian band playing traditional stuff around London. And Max also began playing with Dan Heptonstall. Around the same time, Dan and Mule, that's Sam Brace, we're going to call him Mule through most of this, that's his nickname. They lived next to a pub and they sang sea shanties in there. And they were also in a band around this time called The Alps. That was with Dan, Sam, Dan Gray, the original bassist, a guy named David Edwards, and this is another name I'm going to probably mispronounce, but Hezi Yeichel, or Yeichal, but it's probably Yeichel, were all in the band. They released one album called Something I Might Regret in 2008. It's not at all like Skinny Lister. Skinny Lister is folk roots shanty punk is what they call themselves, and it's about the best descriptor you're going to find. The Alps were real, pretty straight indie pop, not traditional at all. They actually reminded me of Hard Fi, if you remember them. Uh, and I listened to their album. It was all right. I mean, it wasn't the best thing I ever heard, but I certainly didn't mind it. It wasn't the kind of album that if you recorded it and put out that you would immediately regret, like the title of it, I thought. I read some reviews around the time of it, and they hit it pretty hard. But that seemed a little excessive to me. In fact, some of these, not negative reviews, but you know, mediocre reviews hit for the first couple albums from the band as well. And a lot of it has to do with problem, I think, in music criticism where you're listening to these songs and you're listening to these bands and you're not listening for competency or skill or heart. You're really just listening for something that's different from other stuff you've heard. I'll admit, the Alps was not, it, it didn't really stand out, but it was competently done. The songs were decent. There was nothing wrong with it. It was perfectly fine. I mean, I guess as a musician, perfectly fine is not what you want to hear. You want more than that. And unfortunately, I can't say more than that with the Alps, but I, I, I didn't hate it. Like if I had bought it, I'd have listened to it. A couple songs on it might have ended up on mixes. It wasn't something that would have stuck. And, and honestly, to a degree, I'm, I guess I'm glad it got bad, re bad reviews because if they had broken out with that, we probably wouldn't have Skinny Lister. And I like Skinny Lister quite a bit more than I like the Alps album. But again, nothing to be ashamed of. A lot of mentions of the weather in England, like a lot, to a noticeable amount and kind of a surprise, but not distracting, just noticeable. So while they were doing this and Max and Lorna were playing an Appalachian band, they, they all knew each other and they met around this time. Dan liked the Appalachian stuff that they were doing, but he thought it would be more authentic to do English stuff, them all being English. Uh, and eventually, I guess in 2009, the Alps broke up and they formed Skinny Lister. The original lineup was Dan, Sam, Lorna, Max, and Dan Gray. And they really went at it right away. They released two EPs in 2010, neither of which I've been able to find. These, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a record collector, I guess, and in so, far, so much as that I mostly buy vinyl and then download digital copies of them. So I have two formats. I don't buy a lot of CDs or anything anymore. But I also am not what you would call a collector. My stuff is not pristine. I don't spend a ton of time looking for obscure stuff. 
but in this case, the two EPs would have been fun to have, and you just, you can't, they might as well not exist anymore. One of them was called the Grand Union Tour EP, and they recorded that on a narrow boat. And a narrow boat are those boats that go up and down the canals in England, which is something I learned when I was researching this podcast. I had seen these canals when I was, I was in England. I took a train from London out to Exeter. I guess some of that might be the Grand Union Canal. It looked like it was a different route, but there were canals nonetheless, and they looked interesting. And what I didn't realize is that these were a big thing in England. Like people take tours and trips down these canals on these boats. And that's what Skinny Lister did. They did a tour on an hour boat, and they recorded this EP during the tour of the Grand Union Canal. And like I said, I knew nothing of the Grand Canal until researching this, and it's really neat. And I have a new goal for the next time I visit England, which is to ride on an arrowboat or take a tour of the Grand Union Canal. The Grand Canal, rather. So anyway, this, this EP came in hand-stitched sleeves. There were 250 of them pressed. Lorna stitched the sleeves. Uh, it had five tracks, some of which end up on their first album, uh, like Rolling Over and Plow and Orion. Also had a couple of songs called Peregrine Fly, South Australia, and Poor Old Horse. I, I haven't heard it. I'm assuming the South Australia is the traditional song. Yeah, and they recorded it live on a boat going from Linslade to Camden. And I just think that's the coolest shit I've ever heard, if I'm being honest. So after that, they also released the Homemade Tour EP. And this is actually kind of interesting. This is another one I, ha I haven't listened to except for the songs that show up on their first album. But I found a blog post written by Sam Brace, Mule, uh, that kind of went through the tracks and talked a little bit about them. So, like, the first track is called William Harker, which is an original tune by George Thomas, who's the party George that I mentioned. That's Max and Lorna's dad, and he'll, he'll come up a few times on this. And it's noted as performed by the man himself with backing by Skinny Lister, recorded in Frolsworth in Max and Lorna's folks' front room. Saturday the 23rd of October 2010. So that's cool. This was recorded in their parents' house. And the next one is John Kanaka, which is a song that they still sing, which is a traditional shanty. And the version on this is an excerpt performed by Skinny Lister and the company of the Stag Inn in Hastings on Saturday 30th October 2010. I love these kind of details. I hope you do too, because there's going to be a lot of them on this podcast. But it's the kind of thing that I really find interesting is having these historical records and these notes and knowing, you know, where this stuff was recorded and when and, you know, with who and what was going on. It's like the next song was Trawler Man, which is an original song by the band, and it was recorded in Dan's bedroom in London. And the Kite Song is another original, featuring Banjo Man James, recording in Room 1 of the Ship Inn in Dimchurch on Friday 29th, October 2010. And then you have Keep Your Feet Still, Geordie Hinney, which is a traditional Geordie song sung by Tash and Billy Gray, Tash's dad, recorded in Tash's folks' front room. <laughs> It'll come up. There's another song called Geordie Loud. Geordie is a person from around Newcastle or that area. I'm not sure the exact extent of how far or what area, but I know it's around Newcastle. So then we have Farewell to Devon, Tattoo Tale, which is sung by... Sandra Brace, which is Mule's mom, spoken voice with traditional tune backing by Skinny Lister, recorded in Mule's folks' front room. And then Bye Bye My Rosanna, which is a traditional shanty performed by Rob and the company of the, the Stag Inn in Hastings. So their first EP, they give you where that, you know, it was recorded in a bunch of front rooms of their parents and friends and pubs. And, you know, it's a mixture of originals and traditional songs. And that's just neat. 
It's a neat way of doing things. It's certainly getting to the heart of things in the music and a lot of what Skinny Lister is about. So that same year, they played pretty much every festival in England, and they were named the hardest working band in England by PRS, which is the Performing Rights Society. And they named them that because they played more festivals than anybody. And that's certainly one way to get your name out, is just outwork everybody. They're sort of like the band version of the 30th pick in the NBA draft who just fights his way to the top. I guess in this this case, that would be Jimmy Butler, but we're not going to talk about Jimmy Butler too much on this podcast. So they were named Hardest Working Band, and then they kept up that, and they just played and went everywhere. In 2012, they played at South by Southwest. They followed it up with a short U.S. tour. And in one of the kind of interesting stories about them, while at South by Southwest, they played an open mic pub and were spotted by friends of Joe Sib. Joe Sib is the guy who runs Side One Dummy. And this eventually led to them auditioning for Side One Dummy in a parking lot and immediately signed with him, signing with him and getting offered a spot on the Warp Tour. So if you're keeping track at home, they played every festival they could find, ended up in Texas, were spotted by friends of one of the great punk labels in the U.S., from you know, a guy named Joe Sib, who's a comedian now. He does stand-up comedy. He was also in the band Wax, who released a pretty big single in the early 90s called California that has a famous video by Spike Jones. It's interesting how these roads cross and how these things happen. So anyway, so they ended up on the Warp Tour. Then they recorded their first album, full album, called Forge and Flagon, which is named after a pub of their friends. Is released on June 11th, 2012, by Sunday Best Recordings. It was produced by David Wrench, who also worked with Bats for Lashes and James Yorkton. And it was recorded in Bryn Derwin Studios in Snowdonia. So now when I read that, I was interested because one of our favorite places that we went to last time when I was in England with my wife, we went up to Landbrus, which is Snowdonia. And I was curious how close this was. And it turns out the Royal Victoria Hotel where we stayed was about eight miles from this studio. So when they talk about being rural and going into places where there aren't many things, this this is where they went. And Bryn Derwin Studios, I actually looked it up on Google Earth, and it's down this little dirt road off a slightly bigger, slightly more paved road right outside of Snowdonia, which is a national park in Wales. It's where the uh, mountains are and where a lot of legends about King Arthur originate. So they recorded this traditional album in deepest Snowdonia in the most rural place I think they could find, then released it in 2012, and in the U.S. it came out in January on Side One Dummy, whereas I said in, in England it was on Sunday Best Recordings. Uh, so the album came out, and then they, they started going through a little bit of uh, lineup changes. Dan Gray, who had been in the Alps and you know the beginning of the band, left after the Warp Tour. And there's a comment somewhere from Dan where he says that the Warp Tour broke him a little bit. Uh, in fact, that was on an Amazon video of them where he says that. And they had met Michael Camino, who's Hawaiian, while doing the tour. To hear Michael tell it, it's, I bumped into these guys at Warp Tour in the States. I'd been touring for a long time. I liked their music and we got on. I used to drop bottles of rum off when they were short. I'm not sure they knew I played bass seriously. They'd just seen me play drunkenly at a crazy after-party show. 
So Michael Camino ended up in the band. So it's a bunch of English folks doing traditional English music and this Hawaiian guy. And then Mule, Brace, Sam Brace left for a little while and was replaced by Andy Slim Black. He left in April 2013 and rejoins the band for a Japanese tour in October 2014. I couldn't find why he left. You know, I'm sure it was personal reasons. So there was no big public blow up or anything like that. Slim was there for a few months. During this period, they record their second album, which doesn't get released for a while. And that, that actually caused me some confusion because looking at the dates when Mule left and Slim was there don't line up with the album. But the album credits show Mule and Tom Mills on drum. It was a little confusing. Uh, I will admit a lot of my research was trying to figure out what that discrepancy was. And I eventually figured it out by reading the entire Wikipedia about the album instead of various articles and Instagram feeds and things like that. Slim is now a Bikram yoga teacher, and he seems pretty happy based on his Instagram feed, at least. So I don't know why he left. I don't know why Mule left. I don't know why he came back. I just know that he did. Sam is listed on the album as guitars, and Slim is listed as additional musicians. And the, the reason it comes out is the album was recorded in November 2013, but it didn't come out until 2015. I'm not entirely clear why the big gap, but because of the gap, the current lineup of the band is listed on the album, whereas the musicians who recorded are listed as musicians, but they weren't in the band at the time. A little bit confusing. Not the kind of thing most people are going to care about, so I apologize for talking about it so long. During that time, the actual drummer for the album and during that period was Dave Neal, and that was the first time the band had a drummer. And he was only there for a few months before he left to work on another project. And that's when they brought in Tom Mills, who is still with the band. So anyway, their second album is called Down on Deptford Broadway. They recorded it in 2013. And they went back to Wales for this one. It was recorded in the Rockfield Studios in Rockfield, Wales. And it was produced by Ted Hutt, uh, mixed and engineered by Ted Hutt and a guy named Ryan Neal in L.A. Ted Hutt is another one of those guys that we're probably going to have to do a whole episode on. He's a pretty interesting dude, but he's also somebody who's been around some of my all-time favorite music. He played in Flogging Molly. He produced the last three Mighty Mighty Boston's albums, who are my favorite band. And this last winter at the Mighty Mighty Boston's hometown throwdown, one of the opening bands was the Walker Roaders. The Walker Roaders is the band that Ted Hutt started along with uh, former Pogues and... Other folks, they're terrific. The, if you haven't picked up that album, you should. We'll, we'll probably talk about it at some point. Uh, that's the Walker Rotors. But yeah, Ted Hutt is, he's one of those guys. If you look at his credits, he's on half of the music I love, which is always kind of cool to discover this stuff. So anyway, so the album is Down on Deptford Broadway, which is line from one of the tracks, Six Whiskeys. Uh, Deptford Broadway is part of London, and it's a very London-centric album. When you read reviews of it, the Pogues come up a lot. The Pogues come up a lot in reference to this band, uh, no matter what they're talking about, but particularly for Down on Deptford Broadway, which is their first album, Forge and Flagon, is very traditional. And Down on Deptford Broadway, is it's still very folky, but much more punk aesthetic and vibe, while still being firmly in those camps. And it's one of the things I like about Skinny Lister is that their sound evolves across the albums as they come out, but never really gets too far from their heart and soul. So 
Down on Defer Broadway comes out. There's a lot of pub kind of songs, a lot of harmonies. It opens with basically a sea shanty and it closes with a really very gentle ballad. And it just runs the gauntlet of everything the band does or was doing at the time. And it's, it's just a dynamite album. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, it was the first one I listened to and it's part of what got me into the band. It's such a fun album. I don't see how you could listen to it and not want to keep going with them. It's got a cool cover, which is it's a whole bunch of horse brasses, and it's a photograph by a person named uh, Di Hansen, who I couldn't find anything out about, but I did find about a photographer in Australia who does geology photography, and I don't know if it's the same person, but I kind of hope it is because that'd be kind of cool. The horse brasses are interesting. They're something that Dan often has on his guitar strings and attached to his boots. And Skinny Lister actually on their merch table would sell a Skinny Lister horse brass. In fact, their original merch table was kind of a traveling antique show. I saw a video on it and some stuff, and I think that's kind of the inspiration for the album cover. But it was it's all horse brasses and old things and neat things that they've picked up. Not your typical merch table by any stretch. It's not three t-shirts, a pin, and a CD that they burned. It was horse brass and buckles and antiques and just like a traveling collection of things. It's another unique facet of the band and, and it's a bit memorialized on this cover, I thought. Around this time, they were still touring pretty extensively. They toured with Frank Turner. They toured with Beans on Toast, who they released a Christmas song with called This Christmas, which is in 2015. They were recording with Will Varley. These are all folks on Extra Mile Recordings who the band eventually signs with. So, and this is kind of where I pick up on them is when they're doing these tours. And like I said, in 2016, I got into them right before Devil, the Heart, and the Fight came out, which came out in uh, September of that year. The Devil, the Heart, and the Fight is their third album. They recorded it in a town called Newcastle under Lyme, which is in Staffordshire, in a place called Silk Mill Studio. And it's produced and mixed by a guy named Tristan Ivemi, and I'm probably saying that name wrong too, who also produced England Take My Bones and Love Iron Song by Frank Turner, which are my two favorite Frank Turner albums. So that's another neat connection. It was co-engineered by a guy named Andy Gannon. They went into the studio in May of 2016, and then the album was released on September 30th of that year, which is a much quicker turnaround than uh, more than a year that it took for Down on Deptford Broadway to come out. Uh, when it came out, it charted at 38 in the UK. It's a different sounding album. They're much more personal songs. It's closer to alternative rock than the traditional sounds of Forge and Flagon. At least some of it is, while still maintaining that feel and vibe and sound that they had been working on and, and been building as a band. Like I said, it's a lot more personal songs. Like, for instance, Tragedy in A Minor is about Tom Mills' fiancé leaving him just before the wedding. Shorty Lad is about Dan Gray, who was their original bassist who left. Hamburg Drunk is about a wild night in Hamburg where uh, Dan is punched by a prostitute and was drinking what was possibly gin from a bottle with an X on it, which I gotta say sounds like a pretty great night. There's a couple of songs that are about nights where Dan got too drunk and in too much trouble. 
And Lorna, in one interview I watched, refers to him as a complete liability when he's drunk. And I laughed at that because I have a few friends who are probably in that same camp. And I myself have had a few nights where I would pretty easily be described as a complete liability. So I can relate. Although as far as I know, I've never had a prostitute punch me. So anyway... (laughs) Uh, another song called Charlie is about Charlie Heaton. And if you recognize that name, it's because he's the dude that plays Jonathan Byers on Stranger Things. And he's also playing Cannonball in the upcoming New Mutants movie, which, if you're interested in, we'll be covering on the sister podcast, Scary Stuff. As soon as it comes out, we're, we've got a, a episode lined up to talk about that one. The reason they're singing about Charlie Heaton is that Dan grew up with him. They were friends in, or acquaintances in Bridlington. Charlie had started to have some success and Dan sang a song about him. Interestingly enough, the song was actually written before Stranger Things came out. So it was written before that whole phenomena took off, which is kind of cool. It's about hometown folks making good. And it's a, it's a pretty touching song, actually. Pretty neat knowing that I didn't realize until I was researching for this that that's who it was about. Uh, but the album on the whole is less folky. It's more of a global sound, more pop, rocky kind of thing. The title is meant to speak about hard work of being in a band and, and all the effort that it takes. I think it's a great title. It's a cool cover image, too. It's it's the words written on a whitish field with some stripes around it. And in the words is pictures of the band performing, and it, it shows the, the energy that they perform with. And it's a bit of an echo of rum, sodomy, and the lash from the Pogues, which, given all the comparisons, seems pretty appropriate. This album came out in September 30, 2016, so it was just less than two months before I saw them, which was pretty cool. It was also not too long before Michael Camino ended up leaving the band. He hurt his ankle and went back to Hawaii to rehab and eventually just stayed there. And he was replaced by Scott Milson, who is the current bassist in the band. Yeah, so this album is really good. This album cemented my fandom, which was already pretty cemented, honestly. It's a fun album. It's probably the one of theirs I listen to the most when I put them on. I adore Jordy Ladd. And we'll we'll get into some of the songs in a little bit. But when I was putting the mix together, I wanted to have each album represented. And there was pretty good chance that it, this one would have been a little overrepresented if I hadn't limited myself a little bit. So yeah, so they went back to touring because the band really never stops working. When you sit down and you really get into the research and get into the weeds about what they're doing and what they've done, the main thing that jumps out is that this band never stops. They never stop touring. They never stop playing. They never stop creating. You you respect that. And when you listen to their music and when you see them play, it's a little bit stunning because the amount of energy that they put into a performance is incredible. It blew my mind the first time, and I've seen them a couple times since, which we'll talk about, but their energy is infectious, and I can't even imagine playing as many shows that they do at the level that they play these shows. So jump ahead a little bit, and their next album, The Story Is, is recorded, which uh, happened in 2018 at Blue Bell Hill Studio in, I'm probably going to say this one wrong, almost for certain, Chatham in Kent. Uh, It was recorded and actually in two sessions. One was before the summer and one was after the summer, which is kind of an interesting way to do it. It gives you some time to let some things percolate and change up and figure it out. Uh, It was produced by Barney Barnicott, who worked with Elastica, Arctic Monkeys, Franz Ferdinand, among others. Right around when they started 
when it right before actually a little bit before when they went in to record this i saw them the second time at underground arts in philly in what is certainly one of my favorite shows that i've ever seen and it's a show that'll come up later because it's the first time i ever heard frank turner and will varley for that matter who was the opening act and i was right up on stage this is i'd been listening to him for a while i'd seen him i was ready to go for this show i knew every song and it was just a delightful concert. They played so hard and so frantically. And they were so exciting. And I was glowing after the show. In fact, after this show is when I met most of them and took some pictures and got to chat with them and talk about their schedule and touring and all that cool shit. They're really personable and nice folks. They had a tour poster for this tour, which is an old wood pressing of, and I think it's St. George and the Dragon. And it, it's probably my favorite tour poster of all time. I'll include a picture on some Instagram post of it at some point after posting this episode. It's really pretty cool. Uh, so it was an exciting concert, a memorable concert. It came a week after I got back from trip to Milwaukee where I met Joel Embiid at a basketball game, who's a player for the Sixers and one of my basketball heroes. So it was a pretty good week that started with meeting Joel Embiid and ended with meeting Skinny Lister. So that was a good March. Better than March this year, I gotta say. Uh, so anyway, so the album was released March 1st in 2019, so almost a year after I saw them, which is interesting because it was also before they went into the studio, but they played one of the new songs, which was Cause for Chorus, at that show. So the first time I heard it was actually before they even recorded it. And they released the album called The Story Is. I actually wrote about it on my blog. You can go back and look. That's shoutingstreet.com and did a review of it, which to this day is one of my most viewed pieces for whatever reason. It's sort of a concept album. It's a series of stories and vignettes and all things that actually happened. For instance, the song on it, 38 Minutes, is about the missile alert that happened in Hawaii that year. And Michael Camino, their former bassist, had been in Hawaii and he had texted about it and tweeted about it while it was happening. And Dan wrote about that. And it's a pretty intense song. It's one of the best songs in the album, if you ask me. Artist Arsonist is about a guy who set fire to his flat when he was living right below Dan and almost burned the building down. Diesel Vehicle is about putting gas in a vehicle car, which I guess happened in a vehicle car, in a gas car. It's not a euphemism for drinking, which I thought it was when I first heard the song. I actually wrote that in that blog review and got corrected on Facebook a couple of times. Uh, Alistair McAllister is about a friend of the band, which makes it kind of a surprising song to be on there because it's about somebody who's involved in an adulterous relationship. It's a good song, but knowing that it's about a real person that they all know seems brave, I guess. And it ends with a song called Any Resemblance to Actual Persons Living or Dead is Purely Coincidental, which is an, it's another great song. It's about, to some degree, storytelling. He mentioned some of the previous songs and stories. And knowing that they're all real stories now, it feels maybe like they're covering themselves a little bit. But uh, it's a terrific album. The band talks a lot about not being political, but it starts with a song called Second Amendment, which is about the U.S. and guns. And they released a song around the same time called Thing Like That, which is an anti-Brexit tune. So, yeah, they're not political to a degree. I saw interviews and read interviews with them where they talk about everybody being welcome at their shows. And I can attest that that's the truth from the couple of times I've seen them is that they're open. 
they're not, you know, up on stage delivering soliloquies and stuff, which I was a fan of that. I'd be perfectly happy if they did. It's something they talk about, but this album has some political overtones on it, uh, despite that. So that's where they are with albums. The story is, is their current album. It's, I guess, just over a year old as I'm recording this. It's a good album. I really enjoy it. I probably don't like it quite as much as Devil in the Heart in a Fight or Down on Deptford Broadway, but that's like saying I like ice cream with chocolate syrup on it slightly more than I like just plain ice cream, which I like. So it's a great album. I recommend it. I love the cover. I love almost all of the songs on it. That's true for all of them. They don't have a bad song. Like there's not a song I dislike on any of their albums. There's ones I like more than others, which when we get to the mix, we'll talk about, but they're a strong, strong band. They don't have a lot of duds. These are carefully thought of songs and played with skill and precision, but also a kind of vim and vigor that you associate with the most exciting bands that you see. You talk about them being shanty punk, and I think a lot of that punk aesthetic and vibe comes from their energy and that comes through on all of their albums. They're still better live. You can fall in love with the albums and seeing them live is still something of a religious experience. They're that kind of band, but that energy does seep through on the the records. So another fun thing about them is that they do their own videos. Now I grew up in the MTV era when you know videos were huge productions and giant events. And here their videos are all kind of a DIY quality, but they're almost all fun. Their video for 40 Pound Wedding, one of their songs is, I'm going to stop saying one of their songs because they're all one of their songs that we're talking about here. Uh, 40 Pound Wedding, they're all singing in a Range Rover crammed in and then they end up singing on the roof and it's it's a neat video. I recommend going and actually watching the videos. Don't just put it on YouTube and switch to a different tab, like watch the videos for them because they're a lot of fun they're kind of goofy but they're all they have a DIY quality that's also creative and kind of neat for instance their video for the song Kathy is them having a jellied eels eating competition which Sam Brace wins going away spoiler I guess that's the one that was probably hardest to watch it's disgusting that's the only way I can put it it's disgusting but it's still a fun video If the Gaff Don't Let Us Down, which is from their first album, has them covering themselves in goose fat and going swimming in the cold water and then running down the street and playing at a pub. Rollback actually might be my favorite of their videos. It's certainly the most impressive to a degree because it involves four Range Rovers and a Maypole. And you should go watch it because the fact that they did it and they didn't have accidents or destroy anything is something of a miracle. What else? They they have a bunch of videos. There's 20 some odd videos. Uh, Another one that's really cool is the video for Colors, which has them all piling on a tour bus and playing for people and then going into a field and Lorna drawing a short straw and having to ride on top of a plane as it flies around. 17 Summers is them walking around Soho while they're playing, which is cool because I love Soho and London. Trouble on Oxford Street is kind of similar where they're playing on the street, but it's playing in the spot where the song subject happens. We'll talk about that song in a minute. Just go watch their videos. Watch Jordy Ladd and Devil and Me, which is Lorna busting up a car with a sledgehammer, or Injuries, which was filmed while on tour with Flogging Molly at Joshua Tree National Park. 
least I'm pretty sure it was Joshua Tree National Park. There's Joshua Trees in the video, so I'm assuming that's where it had to have happened. You know, some some of them are a little bit more uh, budgeted, like Second Amendment, which they're all in colonial dress, and it's kind of a neat one, or... My Distraction, which is a neat kind of fisheye lens video of Lorna in an apartment in various other places. The story is, is actually one of my favorites because it's them climbing or somebody climbing the Williamsburg Bridge that connects Manhattan to Brooklyn. It's also a good song, too. If you go to their website, there's a tab called Videos. Just go through them. Just watch them. They're really fun, all of them. And they're a great tour of London, if nothing else, because at heart, they're a London band. At least their first two albums really reflect that. Down on Deford Broadway in particular is a, is a London album. And the videos reflect that love of that city. And when I was in London last time, I had some time to wander around and just listen to music and look at things. It's just something I do. I talked about it a little bit on the Replacements episode a couple weeks back, but it's something I do everywhere I go is try to listen to the music of that place and the music that bands from there play and try to get into their heads. And the the two I listened, the three I guess listened to most in London were Skinny Lister, The Clash, and The Skints. Skints are a ska reggae band that have a song called London that I love. But Skinny Lister was one of the big parts of that. And just listening to a lot of Down on Deford Broadway and walking around London, you really kind of get the feel for the album and those songs. And if you're like me, I just, I like cities. So it's a neat way of discovering cities. So to date, uh, I got to see them last year at the Fillmore downstairs this time. Instead of upstairs, they opened for the Interrupters. In all honesty, as much as I love the Interrupters and we talked about them on a previous episode, I was almost more excited for Skinny Lister in part because I had my buddy there and that was the first time I'd managed to convince somebody to go see Skinny Lister and he enjoyed them. They really put on a good show and at the end they brought out cardboard cutouts of the Fanatic and Gritty and took pictures and posted them and and I, I enjoyed that a lot. That was a lot of fun. The only problem is because it was a bigger venue, you're further away, you're further back, harder to be right there and feel it. And it's, they're not as in the crowd as they would be in a smaller venue. And it does take something away from the whole experience a little bit. Not, you know, their music is still strong enough. It doesn't matter. They could be a thousand miles away and it would still be great. But, you know, the first two times I saw them, you know, they're right there and you're right on top of them and they're, they're in the crowd and amongst you and crowd surfing and it was a little bit harder to do that at the Fillmore downstairs so it took a little bit of the edge off but it was still a really good show they played with like I said the Interrupters and another band called Sharp Shock who were really cool so that's Skinny Lister they're a neat group of people who work hard and put out great music so I guess we actually ought to talk about some of that music huh so let's get to the mix this was another tough one. All these mixes are hard when I really love the music of the band, but the first pass-through, I think, for this had 35, 40 songs, and it's hard to cut that down to 10. So let's talk about the final five cuts. Fifth was Thing Like That, which is actually, I mentioned them not being a political band. It's probably their most explicitly political song. It's got a cool acoustic intro, and it's just, it's at heart, it's an, an angry song about Brexit. It's lines like, I don't want to hear any more shit like that or nuclear provoker. You don't speak for me. And it's might be their just straight angriest song. Most of their songs are joyful and celebrations. And this one is decidedly an angry tune. And I, being an angry political person, loved it. Loved the song. It was hard to cut. But in the end, it wasn't 
quite as indicative of their whole thing. And that's what I was trying to go for a little bit more than than just my favorites. Although, I guess 15th is about right. So Next was Beat It From The Chest, which has a real fun drum and vocal start. The other instruments get added in slowly. Sounds a bit like a sea shanty. But it's a big, bombastic, fun song. It was one that I just, I like listening to real loud in my car. Uh, and it was fun in, in concert. You know, he's beating on your chest and singing along. And it's just a great experience. And it was, <laughs> universally, these were all hard to cut. After that was Tragedy in A Minor, which I mentioned before. It's about the drummer Tom Mills' fiance leaving him. It's got kind of a real theater intro to it. And it's got a, you know, a real do-do-do-do-do-do-do chorus. It's fun to sing along to. It's just a great folk punk rock mix. It's a bit angry and sad at the same time. Not the same kind of anger. But I guess it would be closer to Idiot Wind from Bob Dylan than it is to Times Are There Changing from Bob Dylan, I guess, if you're putting it on the spectrum of what kind of anger it is. That was followed up by This Is War. And This Is War was... I mean, it was really hard to cut. Um, it might be the perfect live Skinny Lister song. It's just a really bouncy, fun, shanty, punk song. It's joyful. It's got a big, shouty chorus. You know, this is London. This is now. We've all got something we're fighting for. In fact, in my notes, I have, I can't believe I cut this. And I still can't believe I cut it. When you have a, a band whose catalog is strong as this, these last couple of cuts are tough. It's like peeling off layers of skin. It just doesn't feel right. And this one doesn't feel right. And the, the, the final cut is 40 Pound Wedding, which is a traditional folk stomp. It was written by Party George, Max and Lorna's dad. It was the closing song the first time I saw him. It's a super fun pub kind of sing-along traditional song. And in all honesty, I ended up cutting this because it kind of served a similar function as the closing song for the actual mix. So let's get to the actual mix. All right, mentioned it before, but the leading song in this is Trouble on Oxford Street. Now, this was the first song I ever heard by the band, and it's about Dan Heptonstall ruffling the mohawk of a punk in London and getting knocked out for it. And they shot the video where it actually happened which is pretty cheeky, which is kind of ironic since one of the lines is about, you know, watching his cheek. But it's, it's like I said, it's the first song of them I heard. I dare you to listen to it, not want to buy the album. It's a perfect song. It's a punk traditional mix that I love. It's got an awesome sing-along chorus. The story behind it is fun. It's just a fun song. There was no other real way I could lead off this mix. It had to be the first song. So number two is Rattle and Roar. Rattle and Roar is one of the songs from The Story Is. And like I said, I wanted to have a couple songs from each album. It's got a cool, slow build. It feels like a bit of a mission statement song. And Rattle and Roar is 100% what you can expect when you see this band in concert. It's big. It's bombastic. It gives me goosebumps. Got the line, when they finally come for me, I won't be going quietly. And that, like I said, feels like a mission statement for the band. And I'm, I'm always going to be a sucker for that kind of song. I've talked about them before. There's a lot of songs like that. But when I say mission statement song, that's what I mean. Is the, If the band had to be summed up in one song in their ethos, and this would be a good way to do it. Rattle and Roar. 
And we're going to follow that up with the second song I ever heard, which is Jordy Lad. As I mentioned, it's about Dan Gray. It's just a, a wonderful song. It's clean and bright and uplifting. The video is cool. And it just makes me happy when I hear it. Happy down to my feet. When I see them play it live, it's bouncy and dancing and fun. There's a quality to it that, to my mind, is perfect. It's exactly what I'm looking for when I want to hear a song or when I put music in, which is the band giving it all and singing about something real and feeling something real and conveying something real and doing it in such a clean, wonderful way with guitars and drums and all the good shit that Skinny Lister brings. It's all in this song. Got great lyrics. How you doing in the wild, wild world? It's about loving people and caring about people and wondering about your old friends. And it's just, to my mind, it's a perfect song. If if I had to pick one of their songs that was just simply perfect in every way, it's Geordie Lad. Next up is George's Glass. It was actually kind of came down to George's Glass and This Is War because they're both sort of, not similar, but they kind of feel like they serve a similar function with the band. They're great live. They've got cool harmonies. It goes from the traditional to the shanty punk vibe. It's just a fist pumping kind of dance song and it's hard to not go nuts when they play it in concert. You know, and it's got the great line, follow your fearless heart. And if I had to pick one line from their entire catalog, it'd be follow your fearless heart. And that's what it feels like the band is doing. So we're going to follow that up with John Kanaka, which is a traditional sea shanty. The version that's on the mix on Spotify is actually the live version from the deluxe edition of Devil Heart and Fight, because it's a really fun part of their concerts where they, you know, it's all acoustic. Well, actually, it's drums. But I actually think they play everything in it now that I think about it. I don't know. Whatever. doesn't matter. But it's one of the most fun moments in their concerts when they sing that and you sing along with them. And it, it's that back and forth and that interaction with the band. And it's a sea shanty. And sea shanties are meant to be sung together. And it's got the Turai chorus. Hearing everybody in a venue singing that at once, the top of their lungs, it's perfect. So I had to have the live version and I had to have this on the album because it really demonstrates a lot of what's just best about the band. Following that up with Wanted, which was actually their opening song in a couple times I saw them, which gets right down to it, jumps right into it. There's not much of an intro. It's just a great high energy rock song. Fun to drive too fast to in my car. It might be my favorite of their songs. It's a toss up between this, the next one, and Geordie Lad most of the time. But this does creep up there. It's about cities. And it's about the energy in cities. You know, it's got the line, in your streets I still believe. And New York don't let me down. And London don't let me down. And I like cities. I'm a city person at heart, even though I live here in the suburbs. When I get in cities, I can feel that energy. And I just fall in love with, with every city I'm in. London, Chicago, or Sydney, wherever it is. And this song really gets to that. It, it talks about loving cities and being a city person at heart. And how much a place can affect you and become a part of you. And that's what Wanted is about. So the next song is Injuries, which is a cool acoustic rock pop song from Devil the Heart and the Fight. It's inspirational. It, it feels very personal. It's about being injured but rising above. And I will admit, I probably have cried at least once listening to this song, uh, if not when they played it live. Certainly when it's hit me in just the right spot when I've heard it listening to it. It's got one of the great lines, give it up or learn to dance. And, and that feels pretty right for the band and for the song and in terms of inspirational stuff. 
I don't know how inspirational it's supposed to be, but that's what it feels like is that you, one of the things that gets you through tough times is music. And right now is a tough time for everybody when I'm recording this. We're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody's locked in and there isn't live music to be seen. And that's one of those songs that kind of helps me keep going. And they're, they're one of the bands that does that too. Uh, although when I was putting this all together, it made me sad because, I mean, who knows when I'll see them again. And they're such a, a brilliant experience and so life-affirming that their music has, has helped. So, And Injuries is one of those songs that helps more than others. So next up is The Story Is, which is the title track for the new album. It feels like a love song. It's got a big dramatic through line through it. It just builds and builds. It's almost a perfect song. I did get teared up when I first heard it. It has that vibe of just an energy. Like I said, it just builds and builds and builds and it it wells up in you and it it builds up this burst of emotions by the end. And it's got the cool video where they're climbing the Williamsburg Bridge and it's got the great line, without this, you know, I don't exist. And I, I think they're talking about, you know, a relationship in the song, but to me it's about music and that's how I feel about music and bands and stuff. Uh, but the song really gets to the kind of the heart of that. So next up is Colors from their first album, which is probably my favorite of their ballads and their quiet and gentle songs. It's a duet, and it feels like pastoral England to me. It's the kind of song you lie on the grass and close your eyes and just smile on a spring afternoon or a summer day and feel the world go past you and around you. It's delicate. It's lovely. And they have a lot of good slower ballads and quieter delicate songs and this is just to my mind the best of them and then the mix closes with six whiskeys which is a perfect closing farewell sing-along folk song the kind of song you sing at last call with your mostly drunk best friends your arms around each other swaying a little bit Uh, i have written down the perfect song for being a happy emotional drunk and as a happy emotional drunk i can say That if I had any opportunity to make my friends sing this around the fire or something like that, I I absolutely would have. I definitely listened to it while I was wandering around London. You know, it's it's got lines like, all the drunks and their antics, the hopeless romantics. And that sums up, you know, myself and a lot of my friends. And it's that kind of song. And someday, if I can finally wear them down and get them to listen to this and listen to me about music, It'll be one of those songs I think I'd like to sing along with them. I certainly have enjoyed singing along with Skinny Lister to it at shows. And that's the mix. Six Whiskeys is the closer. It was a toss-up between that and 40 Pound Wedding, and I went with Six Whiskeys because it feels a little bit more closing. feels like last call and I guess maybe a bit of parting, but parting in a way that a piece of you will always be there and will always be with those other people. And that's... That's the mix, and that's Skinny Lister. I've said it over and over, they're one of those bands that when you see live, it's a life-altering experience, and they never give less than a thousand percent. They talk about not being a political band and, and avoiding politics, but I think music and art and humanity are all political to a degree. It's hard to get away from that stuff. But really, empathy and our shared humanity is political. And it's what they're all about is that shared humanity, you know, shared song, shared drink, a shared story. That's the essence of this band. They're about the experience. They're about togetherness. They're about love and rock and roll and music. But they're about all of those things and 
how they bring us together. They're about binding each other and about, you know, long drunken nights with your mates that you never forget that bond you for life. And that's what the band feels like when you see them and talk to them and listen to interviews. They sound like a family. And I, I guess they are. Max and Lorna are sisters and Dan is married to Lorna. They think they're married. They, they just had a child. In fact, they played some songs on the internet the other day and Lorna had the kid with her on their family. And it felt right for Skinny Lister. These drunken liabilities and, and wild people who all very clearly love each other and love what they're doing and love their fans. And again, there's a politicalness to that. There's an empathy to that that's absent somewhere. They're not about, you know, rage and all that, but they're about the things that, that bring us together. Like I said, a story, shared drink, or a shared song. And when you share music with people, well, that's a pretty strong bond. They have it, you know, I've got it with some people. Uh, you can hear it. And if that's what's at the heart or what the real truth of Skinny Lister is, is that their music is about togetherness and humanity and the things that bind us. And that's The Mix is In. We'll see you next time.